You're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. <laughs> I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello! And around the country, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I hope everybody enjoyed the Islander and Carolina game. I don't know what's going on with the Islanders. I don't know how anybody could watch this team. They can't put the puck in the net, and they depend too much on Sorokin, and it really gets me distressed when I watch them. I don't understand what Lou is doing, and I hope Lou makes some moves at the trade deadline if they think that they have a chance to make the playoffs. I think they're three for their last 50 on the power play. They, so. They've been horrible. <laughs> they trust too much on their lines, and their lines aren't producing. Speedy, what's up? Well, it was a fun wild card weekend for me. My New York Giants, from the wise words of the Bee Gees, staying alive. They knock off the Minnesota Vikings. And now it is time for revenge from 2008. When the Eagles were the sixth seed, the Giants were the one seed, the infamous Plaxico Burris shot himself in the foot year, and the Eagles beat the Giants on a walk-off field goal by none other than David Akers. And now it's reversed 15 years later, and hopefully the Giants can get their revenge. Speaking of the Giants, a little bit later in the show, we will be talking to Elite Sports, New York Giants, and NFL writer Ryan Honey, great personality, and he knows his Giants football. All you Giant fans, you're in for a treat. The Giants beat the Vikings 31-24. We'll face the Eagles in a divisional game. Jets betting favorites for both Derek Carr and Lamar Jackson. Bengals versus Bills and the Cowboys versus 49ers. Game previews and three-for-all picks of the week. NBA, Kyrie Irving likely to be given a max contract by the Nets at the end of the season. Mitchell Robinson from the New York Knicks out for at least three weeks with a fractured thumb. I am not surprised. This guy can't stay healthy. NHL, we'll get into the Rangers and Islanders, both in bad slumps. Baseball news, Frankie Montas to miss at least the first month of the regular season with shoulder inflammation. I've been telling people that he was dealing with that at the end of the season. I'm not surprised that he will be sitting for a little bit. And that will only help him when he gets back. And money line mania. So why don't we get into it? A lot of people sitting here today would not say or think that the New York Giants would be going to the divisional game against the Philadelphia Eagles. But all season long, watching Daniel Jones recreate the amazing seasons from wildcard teams like the New York Giants in 2007 and 2011 with Eli Manning. Daniel Jones showed everybody that he could be an elite quarterback in this league. He threw over 3,200 yards and ran over 600 yards this season. He's one of only three quarterbacks to do that in Jalen Hurts and Josh Allen, including him. It was an amazing season, and he's the first quarterback in NFL history in a playoff game to have over 300 yards throwing, 75 yards or more running, and two touchdowns and no interceptions, and actually winning the game, too. What does that tell you about Daniel Jones? It says a lot of things. Shows that he has heart, shows that he's figured things out, and now all the Giant fans will have sighs of relief when it comes to the offseason or looking for future quarterbacks in the draft because they got one. He is their franchise. He is going to make a lot of money in the offseason, and so is Saquon Barkley, who's been absolutely unstoppable all season long. He has been the priority through the offense 
running and catching the ball. When you have no star wide receivers and a rookie tight end, which you drafted in the fourth round in Bellinger, who has had a very good season as well, you look at what the Giants have done, and it's just absolutely miraculous. There's nothing you can say when it comes to what Dable has done, and Brian Dable, to me, is coach of the year. I don't want to hear, this guy has a great record, and this guy won the division and the conference. I don't care. What I saw Dable do in one season, transitioning and changing a team that honestly has no talent, Dexter Lawrence and probably Kavon Thibodeau is the best defensive players they have, and then on the offensive side of the ball, they have no wide receivers. Their tight end is a rookie. Their offensive line has one great player, and, and the rest are just garbage in my eyes, and a quarterback, and a running back. And by the way, Kenny Galladay, just an absolute disgrace. He did throw one key block. We'll give him credit for that. Yay. $16 million well, a year. Well, Thank you. We'll wait eight more games for him to make the next impactful play. They don't have eight more games. No, I meant going into next year. Well, he'll be either riding the bench or riding somebody else's bench. Oh, yeah, he'll be riding the bench. All right. <laughs> I don't know what happened throughout last season, but Dable has really changed this culture with the New York Giants. It's not the fact that Dable is there, but Wink Martindale is there. And what they did, the game plan defensively that they had for the Minnesota Vikings in Minnesota on Sunday last week was phenomenal. I never would have thought in my wildest dreams they would have stopped Justin Jefferson like they did. He had receptions, 7 for 47. The defense played unbelievable. Having 8 to 7 DBs play on third downs was absolutely genius. Because even though TJ Hawkinson had a good game and Thielen did all right, if you could take out their biggest option, their number one option, and take them completely out of the game, you saw that Minnesota could not deal with that. And that had a lot to do with Wink Martindale. So the MVP of the wild card weekend for the Giants was not the defense, was not Dexter Lawrence, who was a beast. It wasn't the offense. Daniel Jones, 300 yards and 76 yards running. Nope. Saquon, nope. It was Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale was my MVP in that Giants game, and that's why the Giants are heading to Philadelphia. The playoffs is all about trying to break your tendencies and trying to do things in different ways to fool teams and outcoach teams. And Wink Martindale had the perfect case of that, too. A guy that's been very blitz-happy this season, third-highest blitz rate in the regular season. And this game, because the Vikings, Garrett Bradbury especially not being healthy, they had the game plan of trusting their interior rush to create. And Leonard Williams probably had his best game as a Giant since his 2020 season, the year before he got that big contract. The Giants really didn't have to blitz as much. They were able to flank some defensive backs around to double-team Jefferson to take away the slot areas, which was a big issue for them in the first meeting against the Vikings when guys like K.J. Osborne and T.J. Hawkinson were carving them up in the slot areas. Even Jefferson lined up in those areas. They cut off the flats to make that happen and used safeties to defend Dalvin Cook. Giants, both meetings, did a great job of stopping Dalvin Cook. He was 60 yards in this game and in a efficient and they contained him in the receiving end too he had six catches for 10 yards the screen tackling for the Giants which I thought was an issue in the middle of the season was so good too because they didn't have to blitz as often Wink Martindale that was a hell of a coaching job and that secondary a lot of rookies in that secondary playing very well the Giants were one of the top third down teams throughout the season too that speaks high volume in what Wink Martindale likes to do especially putting pressure on teams and making the quarterback make plays and they can't because when you're blitz happy you're bringing Seven guys, it works. 
and Wink Martindale has shown everybody why he eventually will have a coaching job in the NFL. Yeah. If not this year, it will be next year, especially the hype of season the Giants had defensively with really nothing. And Dexter Lawrence showed everybody why he was a pro ball player and showed everybody why he is an elite player at his position by what he did. And yeah, Bradbury wasn't 100%. That offensive line wasn't 100%. But the way he was throwing guards and centers all over the place and putting pressure on, on Kirk Cousins where Kirk Cousins was not even thinking on throwing. He was running for dear life and making sure the big bad wolf wasn't going to attack him. And boy, oh boy, did he do that. It was a fantastic defensive game plan for the New York Giants. And they're moving on to the Eagles where the Eagles are a lot more talented. A lot of weapons, defensively, offensively. They could also coach. Their coach is one of the best young coaches in the NFL. So it's going to be a cat and mouse game. Will Brian Dable and Wink Martindale outsmart the coaching staff over there in Philadelphia? Do I think they could? Yes, but is the talent enough even with the out-coaching of Brian Dable and Wink Martindale, is it enough to knock off the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia? I don't know. Yeah, two things that the Giants are going to have to do with that. Keep Daniel Jones running because the Eagles have had trouble with running quarterbacks. I think they allow the fourth most rushing yards to quarterbacks. And their raw run defense, which has been a a powerhouse for years, is a little down for their standards this year, too. So they're going to have to get Saquon involved early. And the Giants have had that issue of starting slow in the past, and the Eagles have started fast a lot of the time, too. So the Giants have to at least weather the storm, especially in the first quarter and a half to stay in this game, because they're a very good second half team, as they showed against the Vikings. The Eagles are not as good of a second half team, so if they could do that, it makes a big difference. And they're going to have to find creative ways to get these receivers involved, because they're not going to win a lot of one-on-one matchups with Darius Slay and Bradbury. They're going to knock Jalen Hurts on his ass. And Jalen Hurts, he's not at 100%, so if you put pressure on him, you make him figure that he has to get out of the pocket and outrun this defense, that could smell trouble for Philadelphia. So it's going to be interesting. Cat and mouse game, The Jets are in the news, as always. It's either bad or even more bad or a little bit of good. Woody Johnson has said that he is going to be willing to go out and spend some money in the offseason for a quarterback because he believes that is the missing piece for this team to make a run. Stories coming out that the betting line has the Jets' favorites of getting Derek Carr or Lamar Jackson. John Harbaugh said that he's 200% sure that Lamar Jackson will be back in a Baltimore uniform. I don't know because... It doesn't look like Lamar wants to be there. It didn't look like he wanted to play for this team because if Lamar really wanted to play, I would have crawled on a football field in that playoff game against the Bengals and tried to win. And if he did, he probably would have won. It would have been even more impressive and more money would have been pouring into his pockets if he did that and knocked off the Bengals. But Lamar Jackson is probably off the board. I think it makes a lot of sense for Derek Carr. I know a lot of Jet fans are sitting here, I don't want Derek Carr. Automatically, if Derek Carr goes to the Jets, Derek Carr would be the best quarterback in his history for the New York Jets. He will probably be the first Jet since Joe Namath, which was one year, to throw 4,000 yards. There's a lot of weapons here. There's a lot of good offensive players. Offensive line will be a lot better next year, even if they do go for an offensive lineman in the draft, which some people say they are. I don't know why. Reports coming out from the New York Jets. There will be a locker room mutiny if Zach Wilson starts in 2023. A lot of people believe that if the organization decides to start Zach Wilson, we Week one, they will have a mutiny 
in that locker room. A lot of speculations on going after Derek Carr, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, because I believe that the Jets know that they need to go into a season looking to win. I said this this year. Next year, 2023, is the year for the New York Jets. They need to make the playoffs, and they need to make a run. There's going to be a lot of better teams in the AFC. You're hearing Aaron Rodgers can move to the AFC. You're hearing Tom Brady can move to the AFC, as you already have Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen. The best quarterbacks are in the AFC, so the Jets need to find somebody that can take this young, talented team to the next level. They're going to need somebody that can make every single throw. Hey, if they had Derek Carr this year, they would have won three or four more games. They would be in the playoffs right now. Losing six games in a row when you were 7-4 and four before that happened was disgraceful, and that's why Mike LaFleur is not back, and they're looking for a new quarterback to start for this organization. The landscape of the AFC, so you're going to need to just be part of this quarterback race. There's so many good young quarterbacks in the AFC. The gauntlet of those top playoff teams, especially if Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady gets moved to one of those teams in their own divisions, the gauntlet. Now, Miami, the whole, the question's with Tua still, but they're also in the runnings possibly for Lamar Jackson or Tom Brady. You got the Bills and you got the Patriots who don't have it. The AFC North. The Browns, another team to watch too, with Deshaun Watson potentially coming back for a full season. So the Jets are going to have to make a play for a quarterback. I agree with you. Carr is probably the most likely. Lamar Jackson I think will end up getting overpaid by the Ravens to stay there because John Harbaugh is giving him control of the coaching staff now, but if he doesn't get that... Are the Jets going to try to spend all that kind of money just to get one and player on Lamar stock. Jackson? So, yeah, and draft stock of the Ravens. Not going to happen. Joe Derek, Douglas don't like doing that. I think Derek Carr is definitely the more likely one, too, because the Raiders, they might have to trade him for a day three pick at this rate. Bengals versus Bills. I think this is going to be a fun game. The question is, what Joe Burrow is going to show up? Is it going to be the Joe Burrow last week against Baltimore, which should have lost and was outplayed by a third-string quarterback in Huntley? If he does show up that way and he doesn't throw the ball to T. Higgins, they don't stand a chance in Buffalo. The fact that DeMar Hamlin might be there and everything that's happened with both teams since that incident over the last couple of weeks, everything has been different. And Josh Allen, I believe, is going to prove to everybody why the playoffs are his time. And you saw what he did against Kansas City last year. I thought he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. I think that this game is going to be more emotional for Josh Allen to show up and put up the numbers with, obviously, Diggs and Davis and Knox and this running game. Josh Allen is going to play a big part because if Josh Allen can run the ball, something that he had problems doing last week, it's gauntlet time for the Bengals. Two things that I think they're going to be key. Pure running game because both teams have struggled with it for much of the year. James Cook's come along towards the end of the season for the Bills, but still not a consistent sample. And then Samaj Piran has looked better in most games than Joe Mixon has this year for the Bengals. And without three offensive linemen, that's going to be a very tough task. I also think tight ends are going to be an X factor. Both these teams have deep receiving cores, but also both these teams struggled against defending tight ends last week with Mark Andrews and Mike Gesicki both having nice games. Both these coaching battles were pretty bad last week, and that's why these games were a lot closer than they should have been with Zach Taylor and also with the Bills' defensive coaching. The Bills' pass rush versus the Bengals' bang-up line. Bills no Von Miller, Bengals are three starters. That game is going to be the game that I am looking forward to all weekend right. long. That's the most that's even battle, I would that's say. That's going to be yeah. fun. And then there's the Cowboys and the 49ers. Everybody's got the 49ers winning this game. I understand. Brock Purdy's been unbelievable. He's been the best quarterback in NFL history his first six games. Fantastic. He hasn't played a good defense like this. He hasn't played a defense when he's under pressure. Seattle is not a good defense. This team is going to go at you. If this offensive line can't protect him, it's going to be bye-bye 49ers. I love what Debo Samuels did last week. I love what Christian McCaffrey's did last week. All of the players showed up 
in a big game against Seattle, but this is a different ball game. And yes, it's in San Francisco again. There is no way Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott are going to make the mistakes they did last year, which is going to eliminate him. I think Dak Prescott has to stay mistake-free and just go out there and play their game. If he does that, the Cowboys will absolutely have a chance to knock off the San Francisco 49ers. I think it's going to be fun. I don't know if it's going to be high-flying the numbers at 46 on the over. I don't know if it's going to be an over. I think both defenses will keep it close. I think whoever shows up in the fourth quarter when the game is close, and I believe this game will be down to the wire with the last five minutes of the game and controls the clock, is going to win the game. And I don't think the running games are going to play a big part in this game. I think one of these guys on both sides of the ball will run a touchdown in because they'll be in the red zone. I don't think you're going to see 100 yards by Christian McCaffrey or 100 yards running by Debo Samuels or 100 yards by Pollard or Ezekiel Elliott. I think it's going to be a one-dimensional game for both teams, and whoever throws the ball better actually can catch the ball is going to win. Yeah, I'm looking for more receiving yards from these running backs because Tony Pollard, I think it's a good way to counter the Niners' pass rush. They have great linebackers with Greenlaw and Warner, but still, if they could get a matched up with a corner or matched up with a safety where he can get yards after the catch, I think that could be an interesting matchup. And same thing with McCaffrey, too, against Leighton Van Der Esch, who is very good, but is more of a bulkier guy in comparison to a speed guy. And also the Dallas secondary depth. They showed up last week against the Bucks receiving core, which is a pretty good receiving core, but the Niners are even better. Trayvon Diggs has been kind of hit or miss this year, and since Anthony Brown's been hurt, they've had trouble finding that second corner spot. Jordan Lewis and Kelvin Joseph have both struggled this year. Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Jennings, those are going to be tough matchups in the number two spot for them to go after, but if they can find creative ways to shadow them and make it easier on the rest of this defense, Dallas definitely has a shot. All right, we do this every week. Our three for all picks of the week. All right, so Giants-Eagles over under 48. This is going to be a close game. I think the Giants will end up covering the minus seven and a half. I do think the Eagles still win this game, though, for two reasons, one of which I like the matchup of both Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard in this game. I think A.J. Brown will be the one that's contained a little more. One reason, like we were saying with Wink, the white job he did on Justin Jefferson, also a Dory Jackson has familiarity with A.J. Brown playing in Tennessee. But I do think Devontae Smith against some younger corners as Dallas Goddard. The Giants can't cover tight ends. And Jalen Hurts, I think, will end up getting it going running-wise later on in this game. So I think the Eagles offense will get it going in the second half. Giants will run the ball well, but I don't know how sustainable that'll be if they fall behind. So give me the Eagles on the under. Oh, I love the Eagles in this game. Now, the Giants be in this game. Daniel Jones will have a good game, especially running the ball. The question is, is he going to be able to throw the ball against his defense? This is not the same Minnesota Vikings team they beat last week. They don't have a player like Justin Jefferson, but A.J. Brown's pretty damn good, and so is Smith. And they have a great running game. I believe they'll be able to run against the Giants defense. Sanders will be able to run the ball against the Giants. He played very well the last time they played the Giants, so I expect both teams to be able to run the ball, but being that it's in Philadelphia, being that the crowd will be on the side, and this is not Minnesota. This is the Philadelphia Eagle fans. I believe the Eagles will be able to put up the numbers, and Jalen Hurts will show up to the game, not at 100%, and still put up good numbers and better numbers than we think, where he'll have a chance to win that game. So, give me the Eagles on the under. The Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills, 49 the over-under. This is going to be to find in the trenches with that Bills pass rush. Can they do it without Von Miller? They had trouble with it last year before Von Miller got there. A lot of people were saying, oh, the Bills were a lock to make the Super Bowl if they beat the Chiefs. I don't think that would have been the case against the Bengals last year, the way their offensive line played against the Chiefs, but three guys out 
now, I think that's going to be very hard. These guys have played a lot better. The youngsters on the Bills defensive line. I also like the matchup of these pass-catching backs going up against the Bengals. Banged up up front. Eli Apple versus Stephon Diggs. I definitely do not like that matchup. I also don't like the Bengals red zone offense either. Zach Taylor not coaching well. So I like the Bills in this one. Close game. I'll take them on the over. Oh, I got the Bills in this game. Tamar probably will be there supporting his team. The Bills are not a running team. They've never been a running team. But in this game, I expect him to run the ball a lot with Josh Allen and some of the trickery that they're going to play offensively. I do believe Diggs will have a good opportunity to get a touchdown and maybe even Davis. The guy that I'm going to watch is Knox. I expect him to score another touchdown. He's five games in a row with five touchdowns. I expect him to do the same in 30 degrees and snowy weather over there in Buffalo. So I expect the numbers to be there for both Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow will throw the ball better than he did last week. He's going to have to because this isn't the Baltimore Ravens. So I believe Josh Allen will throw over 300 yards. Whoever doesn't make the most mistakes wins this game. But I think Buffalo, with the crowd on their side, will show up in the game. Give me the Buffalo Bills on the over. The Cowboys and the 49ers, 46, the over-under. Both these teams have kind of weaknesses outside of Zach Martin with their interior offensive linemen. And the Niners, beefy pass rush inside. Kinlaw, Armstead versus Dallas outside of Martin. Do they have enough to be able to protect Dak Prescott inside? And also, the injury with Dorrance Armstrong, a very underrated pass rush for Dallas. He got hurt twice in that Buccaneers game. How healthy is he to attack the Niners? Because the Niners are good on the tackles, but their interior offensive line isn't great. And for somebody like Purdy, who doesn't have a lot of mobility, Dallas is going to have to do that inside. The edges, I think, is going to be tough. I think George Kittle, they use him a lot as a blocker. And I just worry about the secondary depth with Dallas. I think Jawan Jennings is a big game. I love Ayuk in this game. I think Debo Samuel will be contained a little bit, but I just don't know if I trust the Cowboys to get enough balance with their running game either, and I'm going to take the Niners over. Oh, I love the Cowboys in this game because everybody has them losing this game. Dak Prescott is going to put up the numbers we expect him to do for the first time in a divisional game against a high-powering defense. He won't make mistakes. They won't be able to run the ball. Pollard will be used in the offensive game a lot more than his Ezekiel Elliott. CeeDee Lamb will have one of those games where he'll have the yards but no touchdowns. But I believe that the Cowboys will do enough in this game and stay in this game enough to the fourth quarter where I think the Cowboys are going to make San Francisco and Brock Purdy make the mistakes. Something we haven't seen with Brock Purdy since he started. I think Purdy will be the problem. He is not a mobile quarterback and with Micah Parsons and the weapons that they have, I believe Esh will stop the running game of Mitchell, Debo Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey. Dan Quinn will have a game plan for Brock Purdy put Brock Purdy on his ass. Give me the Dallas Cowboys on the over. And that is our three for all picks of the week. When we come back, we will be talking to elite sports, New York Giants, and NFL writer Ryan Honey here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website. Go to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. Our stories, fantastic. Our show, The Sports Loudmouth, which airs every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. And now, our special guest, ladies and gentlemen, we are now talking to Elite Sports, 
New York Giants NFL writer Ryan Honey. Ryan, what's up, bud? Guys, what's going on? Thanks for having me on. We got thunderstorms here in tri-state areas. We need so. it. I think we need cold, okay? <laughs> it's winter, and it feels don't. like spring. It's horrible. It's ridiculous, yeah. A month and a half into the winter, and we're usually we see a little bit of snow. It's like 20-degree weather. No, it's 50 yeah. degrees, 60 degrees. I you know. see people walking outside without coats, dancing around in the streets. Great to New Yorkers. Errol Lightman, exactly. he was the only one doing that, walking out without a coat. It doesn't matter if it's 20 or 15 degrees. I'm usually out there with life beater shorts and flip-flops. I don't see the cold out here to be cold. And over the last couple of weeks, 30-degree weather is like spring weather to me. I don't think it's that cold. I actually In mid-January, love yes, that is spring weather. Yeah. Anyways, we got a lot yeah. to talk to you about with the New York Giants. Before we do that, how's everything going, man? We haven't spoken to you in a couple of months. How's your family doing with everything that's gone on with COVID, flu, and all the crazy mm. stuff? Life is good. Giants are good, so that's always a good thing. My bets are not. That's basically how life goes, but things are great. Last time we spoke, I think they are coming off the big win over Baltimore, mm-hmm. and now they've gone from the underdog team to now a lot of people thought they could win in Minnesota. They did. And I feel like there's a good energy around this team right now. I was going into the week thinking no one's going to think that the Giants are beating the Eagles. I think people are rallying around this team and I'm one of them. I think they could go into Philly and beat this team. I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. Absolutely not because Philly's good, but I think the Giants have become one of those teams. Joe Beningo said this on the fan. They've gone from a good story to a team that can make some noise. And I think you're starting to see that over the last couple of weeks. But life is good. Giants are good. Everything's good. So can't complain. We are talking to Elite Sports NY NFL Giants writer Ryan Honey. I love Daniel Jones. I've always liked Daniel Jones. When the Giants drafted him and Gettleman was getting beaten up, I said in five or six years, people are going to say that Daniel Jones is the best quarterback in this class. This year has over 3,000 yards throwing, 600 yards running. Only two other quarterbacks in the NFL has done that. He did something in the playoffs that no quarterback has ever done. Two touchdowns, 300 yards, and 76 yards run, and he actually won the game. That's something that a quarterback's never done in NFL history. Dable is coach of the year. No talent whatsoever. Besides Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, and maybe Dexter Lawrence and Thibodeau, that's all they have. They're really just glued together. The secondary's glued together. Jackson, come on, is he a number one guy? He's not even a number three guy on the Jets. And they played eight DBs, which was very interesting. The game plan by Wink Martindale was fantastic, and I think that's what threw off Justin Jefferson, and they had to depend a little bit more on other guys, which probably cost the Minnesota Vikings a chance of winning the game, but what are your thoughts going into a game this weekend? I know you said you still believe this team has a chance. What are your thoughts going into a game in a Philadelphia stadium that's going to be very, very loud, very entertaining to all the Giant fans that will probably show up to the game, and the Mm. fact that Jalen Hurts came out and said that he believes he's 80% healthy going into the game. It's tough to overlook the amount of talent that Philly has. But you also can't forget Jalen Hurts is dealing with his shoulder injury. Two weeks ago, this Giants team lost to the Eagles by six. And the Giants had Davis Webb under center and the Eagles are fighting for the number one seed. It comes down to the fact that the Eagles are banged up right now. Jalen Hurts is banged up. And the Giants are playing the best football they've played all year. This team had a 6-1 and one start. Then they had a little bit of a slump. They had the loss to Detroit, Dallas, Tide Washington. This team 
between the Colts game that clinched them the playoff and then this game against Minnesota. And even against Philly, as I just said, with the backups in place, not even the third string practice squad quarterback in place, this team is playing red hot. They've had this secondary is getting healthier. Dory Jackson's back. Xavier McKinney's back. And I think that played a big difference in limiting Justin Jefferson in the win last week. This receiving corps, not so much the entire receiving corps, but it's Isaiah Hodgins is coming together. The chemistry you see from Jones to Hodgins, that's formulating really well. This is a receiving corps that we had question marks about all year. And it seems like, at least for this playoff run, they found their guy in Isaiah Hodgins. And with Daniel Jones, take away the numbers. Just do the eye test with Daniel Jones. He just looks so much more comfortable, confident, and poised than he's ever had before. I know you brought up the Jets before. I compare it to Zach Wilson. Daniel Jones has made it look easier. Don't bring up (laughs) Zach Wilson on this show. Until next year while he's sitting on the bench when either Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers is the quarterback and the starting quarterback for this organization. Yeah. Please. I don't want to hear Zach Wilson. Don't compare Daniel Jones (laughs) to Zach Wilson. No closeness to both organizations when it comes to quarterback play because the Giants actually have a quarterback that they can build with and the Jets don't even know where they are at the quarterback position. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Because Daniel Jones looks like he's just getting more confident and more comfortable than he was the first three years of his career. Meanwhile, Zach's making it look like Which is crazy, right? Like the hardest job ever. Because when you look at the Jets, their talent is endless. They have more talent oh, yeah. than the Giants could ever wish they had. And if mm-hmm. Daniel Jones had the Jets' talent, they'd go all the way to the Super Bowl. It's crazy what a quarterback can do and how they can change the outline of where the team is going to go. When you go into this game, it's very very rare that a team beats the other team three times in a year. That's where mm-hmm. I think the Giants might have the advantage in this game. Not talent, not the quarterback play, because I still think Jalen Hurts had a better season than Daniel Jones. They're kind of even, but I like Jalen Hurts a little bit better, but he's not healthy, and Daniel Jones is. What really stands mm-hmm. out is the Philadelphia Eagles, push it or not, they won both games. Now they're going into the playoffs, limping into the playoffs, even though they got the first week off. The Giants have the confidence, and the Eagles are going into a game where they think I think this is a four-now conclusion that they're going to win. So what are your mm-hmm. thoughts to that, that the Giants could actually be one of very few teams to lose three games against the same team in your division? Philly is a more talented team. Philly's a better team. Philly has the better quarterback. Philly has the better roster. I think the Giants are in a better spot right now. The way they've been playing as of late and because of the injuries the Eagles have been dealing with as of late. Jalen Hurts was a better quarterback than Daniel Jones this year. Jalen Hurts was an MVP candidate before the injury. He should have Daniel won the Jones had a great season, and Daniel Jones should get the contract extension, but Daniel Jones wasn't an MVP candidate. Jalen Hurts was. But I think the Giants are in a better situation with this game because they're coming into this game with the momentum that they've had the last couple of weeks. It's tough to beat a team twice in the same season, try three times. And we've seen this happen before. We've seen these number one playoff seeds crumble in their divisional round when they're coming off the first round by. They're a little out of rhythm because they had the week of rest, they had the week off, and even when the Eagles were playing their starters two weeks ago, they only beat the Giants by six. Only beat Davis Webb by six. The Eagles right now are not the team they were 10, 11 weeks ago. And the Giants are better than the team they were 10, 11 weeks ago. So I think the Giants, for this specific game, they're in the better situation, even though they're on the road in that hostile feeling environment. I think the Giants can win this game solely based off of the fact that they're in the better situation than their division rivals. So I want to go back to the defense, in particular Wink Martindale, because he's a guy that's normally known to blitz. But the Giants did a good job, I think, actually just trusting the four-man rush, especially with how well the interior played in this game and played a lot with seven DBs and a lot of rookies really standing out on that defense. So you think the 
approach is very similar to, against the Eagles, or do you think they got to start mixing it up with those blitzes again? I think they got to start mixing it up because you're going against a different type of quarterback. Kirk Cousins, obviously, is not the dual threat quarterback that Jalen Hurts is. All the investments that they have made in the defensive line and the pass rush the last couple of years, whether it was Joe Shane doing it, whether it was Dave Gettleman doing it beforehand, that pass rush needs to come together because Jalen Hurts will dial it up if he has the time in the pocket, especially with the receivers he has alongside him and Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Goddard. They cannot give him time. So while I think the Giants need to put seven defensive backs out there, they need to get production out of Thibodeau, Ojolari if he's healthy, questionable with the quad injury, Dexter, Leonard Williams. They need to get production out of that front seven and they need to disrupt Jalen Jalen Hurts' timing and they need to disrupt the pocket or else if he has time, he will dial it up more ways than one. I don't care if he has a shoulder injury. He's that talented where he can do that. So they absolutely need to mix it up. They're going against the better offense than Minnesota. They're going against one of the better offense that they faced all year. Wink Martindale, if there's a game for Wink Martindale to be a little bit indecisive, a little bit unpredictable, this is the game to do it. He's got to bring multiple sets against the Seagulls offense. We are talking to Elite Sports NY NFL Giants writer Ryan Honey. This is the best offensive line in football. Johnson will be back this week. They're going to dial up every kind of blitz package you possibly could see. Wink is all about those blitz packages, and and you've seen on third downs what they did to Justin Jefferson. They brought eight DBs or seven DBs on the field. They made sure that they had the coverage that they had in the open field, especially zoning the wide receivers. It didn't work on Hawkinson, but it worked on Justin Jefferson. 45 yards throughout the game at seven receptions. Definitely a different kind of game plan. This game plan is going to be a little bit more interesting because you have A.J. Brown, who is beastly. They have Smith. Last year showed what he can do, but now his second year this year has the opportunity to really take his game to another level in the playoffs, and they have one of the best running games in all of football. So the Giants are going to have to figure out what would be better to stop. Do we stop the running game and make them become one-dimensional and try to cover it as best as we can or knock off one of the big wide receivers make Smith try to beat us in a game of hat and mouse what are your thoughts on that situation and where the Giants go with Wink Martindale and how he's going to run his defense bringing the pressure is going to be a big thing but they also need to take out the run I mean if you look at the first meeting between these teams I think the Eagles had four rushing touchdowns Miles Sanders had over 140 yards and then obviously you have Boston Scott who has scored 27 touchdowns against the Giants Mm -hmm. in six games It seems like they need to take out that portion of the offense as well. Hertz is very talented, but he's young. He's inexperienced. He will make mistakes. He'll throw picks just like Daniel Jones has if he gets pressure. So they need to take out the run first and foremost, and then they need to bring the heat on passing downs because if they don't, it's going to be a long night. They need to get off the field. When the Giants defense is on the field, they cannot succumb to these long drives that is going to tire out the entire off. Because if you look at their rankings with run defense, The Giants were one of the worst run-defending teams in the league this year. And the Eagles are going to try to exploit that. You need to take that out. You need to take out the run game, force Hurts to beat you through the air, and when that happens, you bring the heat. If you're Martindale, throw in different sets, be a little bit unpredictable, and go from there. But the number one thing, they got to get off the field on third down. And they've been good at that for much of the year. they got to continue that. So the Eagles secondary, obviously being a huge strength with Slay and Bradbury, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson now coming back, and the Giants receiving court, not a big strength on paper for them. So what do you think are the best ways to try to exploit that and win some matchup advantage just coaching-wise? Play action and a lot of Isaiah Hodgins. They're going to be biting on the run a lot because obviously Saquon is still a huge part of this offense and has been this entire year. They're going to be game planning towards him. You got to utilize the play action, especially on heavy passing down, especially on 
on third down. I think the Giants have done a great job with that as of late. Daniel Jones and Isaiah Hodgins need to maintain this chemistry that they've built over the last month and a half. Hodgins went from a waiver wire pickup no one ever heard of to now he's scoring touchdowns in four of the last five games, had a 105-yard day against Minnesota. They need to get him involved. It's obvious he's become Daniel Jones' number one target. He's more consistent than Richie James, as well as Darius Slayton. They need to get him involved. So they need to utilize the play action, get this defense to bite on the run. They got to take advantage of the defense from there. Hodgins has to have a big game. I hear you keep saying Isaiah Hodgins, and and it's great that you guys think Hodgins is the number one guy, and he's got so much great chemistry with Daniel Jones. They played... Mm -hmm. The Minnesota Vikings secondary. <laughs> this isn't the Eagles secondary, which probably was ranked second or third throughout the league when it comes to stops when healthy. They have one of the best intercepting guys this year in Johnson, who played fantastic before he got hurt. You have Darius Slay, who shut down Justin Jefferson by himself this year. This isn't the same secondary you played against Minnesota. So I know you like Hodgins. I know Giant fans are like, wow, this guy's a real deal. We've got something here. Come on, guys. He's a waiver guy. He's like Mike White with the Jets. We found a franchise! Five times waived by the Jets. Two times waived by the Cowboys. Give me a break. This guy is no good. I'm not saying Isaiah Hodgins hasn't played well. If you think Isaiah Hodgins is going to do what he did against Minnesota, you guys are (laughs) going to be very upset when he puts up numbers like 30 yards in this game and he doesn't sniff a chance to get a touchdown. First of all, the Eagles secondary is allowing Kenny Gallagher they one-handed touchdown catches. I think anything's possible with Isaiah Hodgins. So it is definitely sort of like a Mike White case where there's one or two good games. And I think that goes back to the fact that this franchise and these fan bases haven't seen much success if at all in the last five years. So once one player is like, has a great game, it's like they're the franchise. No, but I think Isaiah Hodgins isn't a true number one in this league. But at the same time, what other option do the Giants have on a consistent basis? Darius Slayton's a nice player. Darius Slayton's had chemistry with Daniel Jones. I mean, they were the same rookie class. But is Darius Slayton going to be as consistent as as Isaiah Hodgins has been the last? I think he's been, throughout the season, more consistent. Hodgins was on the waiver wire. Slayton was doing it week in and week out. And I thought, even though I think Darius Slayton's more of a three or a four on any other football team, He's played throughout the season as a number two guy. So could they use him next year as a number two guy? I don't see the Giants doing that. I think Slayton's a number three. Hodges will not be on this team next year. I can guarantee you. He will not be on this team. Hodgins will get attention in free agency. Really? He will get various teams who will take a flyer on him. You can't have enough wide receiver talent. How much do you think he's going becomes... to get in the offseason? Oh, not a lot. Mm-hmm. No. I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's locking down Tyree Kill money. I, I'm saying he's a, he's a guy that, that might be true, but at the same time, he's their best receiver right now. Right. So now. it's like, are you going to rely on Kenny Galladay as much as you rely on no, him? No, no, no. Kenny Galladay is getting paid. I, I could see the Giants in the offseason trying to trade a pick to try to get rid of Kenny Galladay's contract. Maybe they give up a third round. <laughs> and get rid of that contract. They're not keeping Kenny Galladay, and if they I, do, you're, no, you're, they're ridiculous. You're totally right. He's all but out of East Rutherford. Yes, there's Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be available in the offseason. Maybe some of these wide receivers are going to be dropped. There's not many on the list this offseason. To find a number one, you really got to find him in the draft. The Giants are drafting in the 20s. More than likely, they're not going to get a number one guy over there. Maybe they get lucky. We've seen guys. St. Brown, he was drafted in, what, the third round? He's become a star in the league. So you might get lucky and find somebody, but they have haven't had a star wide receiver since Odell Beckham. They tried to mm-hmm. bring him back. Nobody knows what's going on with him if he's 100% healthy.
healthy, but that's on another world. Maybe they bring Odell Beckham back. About like a month ago, I thought about it, if they would bring back Odell. If they had Odell Beckham on this roster right now, then I would say the Giants might have a chance because Odell Beckham is one of those guys that just does these spectacular things. He can run routes that other people can't. I didn't think the Giants were going to get Odell this season. I didn't think he was going to be healthy, and obviously he isn't, or else he'd be on the Cowboys right now, probably. Mm. I thought of it this coming offseason, they try to bring back Odell on a reasonable deal and also try to draft a receiver in the first round. I think they could bring back Hodgins. Hodgins is their best option right now. That doesn't mean Hodgins is going to be their best option next year because they still have a lot of moves to make in the offseason. But yeah, I thought for a little like maybe Odell come back, but I'd have to see how they operate in free agency. That would take the city by storm oh, if yeah. Odell's back. 100%. He wants to be back. Oh my God. We are talking to Elite Sports, NY, NFL, and Giants writer Ryan Honey. An X Factor and under the radar player that you think on both sides of the ball will be key for them to be able to upset the Eagles. I'm going to go with Evan Neal on the offensive okay. side of the ball. Evan Neal struggled against Minnesota. Philly's going to attack him. He's got to step up. That pocket needs to be clean for Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones cannot be rushed into making mistakes and committing turnovers. We didn't see it as much this year, but we've seen it various times throughout his career. Evan Neal has got to be rock solid at right tackle. They have to protect Daniel Jones. And on the defensive side of the ball, I know I said a lot about the pass rush, but I think he got to go with Adoree Jackson. I think he did a great job making adjustments against the Vikings, because if you saw that open drive for Minnesota when they went right down the field, Jefferson had four catches on that drive alone. I'm watching, they're going to crush Adoree Jackson all 60 minutes. But the adjustments he made after that first drive to lock Jefferson down. He has to step up in that same type of way against Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown or else Jalen Hurts is going to dial it up. So I think Odori Jackson is going to have to play a big role. He's got a big matchup going against this receiving corps and this talented quarterback and Hurts. Jackson's got to have a big game. I think if he does, that's going to be a deciding factor, at least on that side of the Dexter Lawrence is fantastic. He's been their best all-around player all season long. He's been the most consistent. For anybody that took shots at Dave Gettleman saying that he didn't know what he was doing when it comes to drafting, a lot of these players have turned out to be pretty good. Thomas, who I think is the second best tackle in football this year, he was fantastic. Saquon Barkley, even though he's fighting health, I still think he's a fantastic talent. Daniel Jones, he was right about him. Dexter Lawrence, he's going to be asking for a lot of money this offseason. He's going to get it. If it's not from the Giants, it'll be from somebody else. What are your thoughts of the growth of Dexter to Lawrence over the last couple of years, coming from Clemson, doing the things that we expect a star defensive tackle to do in the big game on the biggest stage in the playoffs. Well, the thing that is very key in his improvement is he's gone from just this average to maybe a bit above average run stuffer to now dual threat pass rusher. And that's huge. That's why Aaron Donald is so good. That's why Aaron Donald is so valuable. Now, I'm not saying Dexter Lawrence is going to get the money that Aaron Donald makes. But you see that next level of his game come to fruition this past season. That pass rushing ability and that pass rushing aspect of his game, which wasn't all that existed for the first couple of years. And I think that's a big testament to Wink Martindale and his blitz heavy scheme. It's helped get the most out of guys like Dexter Lawrence and Aziz Ojolari when he's healthy and Thibodeau because it's so blitz heavy that they're able to show off those abilities that they may have not been able to show off in previous defensive schemes. So I think Dexter Lawrence, his growth this year, he's gone from an average run stuffer to he's one of the better young defensive linemen in the NFL right now. If not, one of the best defensive linemen period in the NFL right now at least this past season and I think a lot of that has to do with the scheme I think a lot of it has to do with coaching those things unlocking the 
pass rushing abilities that Dexter Lawrence probably always had, but wasn't able to exactly unlock it under when he was playing for, say, James Betcher in 2019 or Patrick Graham the last couple of years. There's so a- I think the pass rushing abilities have been outstanding compared to what they were with Dexter Lawrence from 2019 to last year. There's a player that I've compared Dexter Lawrence to that I remember over the last 15 years, played for the Jets, he played for Carolina. Chris Jenkins is a guy that reminds me of Dexter Lawrence. Now, I don't know if he's as dominant so far. This year, he's been a dominant force. Chris Jenkins was a dominant force for like six years, seven years in the NFL before he got hurt. His game, the terrifying game where he beats up the centers and the guards and he throws them around, that's the way Chris Jenkins plays. I think Dexter Lawrence talented. I don't know if he's Quinn Williams, but he's right there with some of the better defensive linemen in the league. He's moving on up to those guys. It's Quinn Williams a little bit to figure out his game and what he is as a player. I love what Dexter Lawrence is doing. Daniel Jones running aspect of it because the Eagles are a lot like the 49ers where they're really a four-man rush by a lot of combo coverages, but they don't blitz a lot. Now they have Hassan Reddick who can move around as a linebacker, as a defensive end. Do you think the Giants will be able to have Daniel Jones designed runs the same way that they did against the Vikings, who I thought would do a better job stopping it the second time around with their five defensive linemen hybrid defenses? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's been using his legs better than he ever has before, and obviously we knew he's not Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, but he's a mobile quarterback, and we've seen that throughout his years with the Giants, but the running abilities that Daniel Jones has, we're seeing them a lot more this year, and that's a testament to Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. Against Philly, I don't see how you can't design runs for him. If it's not Saquon Barkley running the ball, it's him running the ball. It's not really Matt Breida. It's not so much Gary Brightwell. It's Daniel Jones. They need to absolutely design runs for him. They have to use his legs. They have to take advantage of the dual threat capabilities that he has. Jones has been great throwing the ball this year, but if you take out that entire running aspect and then the ability for him to get outside the pocket and pick up eight yards on first down, like stuff like that goes a little bit unnoticed, but they're huge in the grand scheme of things. They can't take that out because that's how the Giants formulate drives with a limited offense in terms of talent. They keep drives alive by Jones getting outside the pocket, using his legs effectively when he needs to. I think Dable's probably scheming up design runs as we speak right now. They have to. They have to take advantage of that aspect that Daniel Jones provides. If they force him to throw 50 times, it's not going to turn out well because he'll make a mistake at some point. I know he's been great this year, so you have to also use that level of his game against this defense. We are talking to Elite Sports, New York, NFL, and Giants writer, Ryan Honey. You look into the offseason, Giants win or lose, they can make a run. We've seen the Giants as a wild card team go all the way with Eli Manning. It could happen this year. They have the coach. They have momentum. If the Giants don't make it, what do you see the Giants doing in the offseason to make this team that much better? Yeah, they gotta go receiver. Regardless of where they finish in the draft, whether it's the spot they're at now, they gotta go receiver. They could win it all this year. They still don't have a lot of talent at that position. And if they're going to lock in Daniel Jones for another couple of years, whether if they're going to sign him to an extension, they need to get him weapons. It can't just be Saquon. It can't just be Daniel Bellinger here and there. It can't just be Isaiah Hodgins having this run that he's on right now. But other receivers aren't doing too much. They need to get receivers in that building. I thought Odell was an option. Maybe he still is. And I think a receiver in the first round is also an option. And I think cornerback is also another position they have to target. Adoree Jackson's got one more year left on his deal. And that other cornerback spot, Fab Fabian Moreau has been great this year, but who knows if he's a long-term answer. Same goes with guys like Cordell Flott or Aaron Robinson. They need to beef up the secondary because the depth in that secondary is not ideal. The starters in that secondary aren't always ideal. So I think if there are two positions they are going to target, it's got to be wide receiver and cornerback, which is crazy to me because four months ago, five months ago, we were sure that it was going to be quarterback first round. I didn't think Daniel Jones was going to pan out and they were going to have to reset this whole draft and develop type of thing. But wide receiver and cornerback, and especially 
especially in a passing league, those are two highly valuable, important positions. They have to target those, whether it's in free agency and or early in the draft. Those are the two spots they got to address. Who do you think wins? What is the score? Go ahead, say it. 24-23, Giants. Oh, one point game. I saw Mike Florio make the same exact score, so I think I'm okay. But usually if I try to do a score prediction, I try to make it field goal heavy because I know that offense, that team can rely on Graham Gano at times. But I'm thinking Giants find the end zone a couple of times. I think Daniel has a big game. I can see Saquon finding the end zone once or twice. I got to go 24-23. It's not going to be a blowout. It's going to be a fantastic divisional playoff game but I think the Giants are just with injuries and you the way they're never playing bet I think against the, Giants the Giants are in a better spot Maybe. Confidence I better. usually do but right now with the way they're playing how could I bet against them now I love that there are two New York teams still there I don't want to see the Giants win a Super Bowl again everything fell together for the Giants it was an easy schedule for them this year you could only beat who's on your schedule it worked out for them and they could make a run anything's possible it is playoff football and some teams just don't show up to the games as well as I think the Cowboys mm. could shock the world and knock off the 49ers this week. If they play like they did against Tampa, they're going to cause a lot of problems for Brock Purdy. They Brock could beat Purdy. anybody. I don't think Brock Purdy is as big and good as everybody thinks he is. I don't think he's beating yeah. anybody good. So when he goes out there and starts to beat good teams, then we can talk about Brock Purdy. Until then, I don't want to hear it. But we really appreciate you, Ryan. Keep up the good work. We will be reading what you're putting out there. We'll have you on soon in the offseason. We'll talk about the combine and where the Giants go in the draft and free agency. Mm. Really appreciate all your time, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Guys. Ryan, aka Giants Daddy, honey. How's that sound? He is hunting, and hopefully his Giants pull it off tonight. Obviously, the game is in progress as we speak. Could the Giants pull off a win against the Eagles in Philadelphia? Only time will tell. Ryan is a very interesting fellow who has the Giants pulling off a win. When we come back, we got Chaz in the boys, or we just have Chaz, ladies and gentlemen. Money line mania here on the weekend crunch. <laughs> We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out, go check out our website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. You can check out all our shows, including Wake and Bake, on Saturdays and listen to the Sports Loudmouths every single Wednesday at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the moment you all been waiting for. We call this Moneyline Mania. This is Moneyline Mania with Jazz and the crew. Our guest, it's not Wes, it's not the Johns, it's not Mo, it's not Hector, it is Chaz. Chaz, what's up, man? I really am blessed if you think about how many great people. What happened is like 10 years ago now, because we're starting a new season here, and when I get back from Vegas, because I always go to Vegas every year for that AFC NFC Betaway weekend, I took a ferry to see you two. I'm really, really a lucky guy. The fact that I recently had a heart attack has nothing to do with the emotions, but it really is. It's pretty cool going to our 10th season. We're giving
giving people winners. We're consistently making people laugh. And now we got Leaf and Low joining the party. There you go. With our 420 contest. I don't care how bad you suck at handicapping. You could screenshot a game if it stops at 420. A guy goes out of bounds at 420. They stop the clock for any reason. You screenshot it. Boom. You're in the contest. You don't have to pick a winner. You don't have to win. You don't have to cover any spread. No totals. All you got to do is be able to screenshot. And then you just simply attach it to the Twitter handle at Second Half Chaz. And it's a C-note. It's a $100 gift certificate for championshipfootballs.com. For all the listeners out there, happy uh, one-year anniversary as well to Moneyline Mania. We were debuted yeah, that's last cool. year right in the divisional round. I really think that if you look back at the year, the cash in the tickets is really, really cool. But all of us, maybe not Paolo. Paolo's more about the play. But when you talk to a Wes or you talk to a Mo or you talk to John from GMS Sports, they really dig down into the money aspect of what it takes to take this hobby and make it a hobby where you make money at it. We've had some years where it was like having a second job. We got three, $400 every single week just from knowing when to bet and, and betting smart and understanding that if you believe in your handicap and you can't just bet the first half or the game or the first quarter. You got to be in that live action. You got to be watching. When we talk about these playoff game guys, we're talking about some games that have favorites, all right? And the favorite gets behind early in a game. As you saw in a lot of these playoff games, it's a tale of two halves. It doesn't matter what happens in the first half because the second half, they still have to play. So there's just so many opportunities to win. We laughed about it on our thread because we gave out a game that lost and we cashed tickets on that game because it really is about understanding you're betting human beings. You got to watch what the human beings are doing and human beings will do what they do. A team that scores 30 points a game is going to score points. If you get to halftime and they don't have a lot of points, that's an opportunity. You lose all your other bets and you win one big bet, you get all your money back. And it gets you to bet again. Speaking of tale of two halves, Chaz, a great weekend for us in the Chargers Haters Club. Well, you and I are on our text thread together and I have to give Shrek all the credit. Curses are bad. The Chargers have not handled their curses. But Shrek and Fiona, they took that curse and they made the most of that curse. Spanos family, not so much. Last week's wild card games were very fun to watch. There was really just two blowouts. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers loss against the Cowboys and San Francisco knocking off the lonely Geno Smiths. Wes's Seattle Seahawks. They were both close early. All the way to and, the fourth and, quarter where everything started to go. Well, crazy. I had a big, big parlay on Dallas. I said I liked the first five games. I wasn't sure about Monday night and it turned out I not only was right about Monday night, but I let all my chips ride and I hit. So in the second half, I had Dallas and over. Everything was going great. They're getting points. They're winning. Life is good. I just need Tom Brady to get a meaningless touchdown and he did and now I'm a big Tom Brady fan. <laughs> but here's what Wes said. Wes said, tell them I'm on the couch. Cowboys money line. They're going to win the NFC outright. He says, I believe if it's a Dallas KC, then KC wins. If it's Dallas and anyone else, especially Buffalo, then the Lombardi is going to the big D. I love you, Wes. I really do. I love you like a brother. A guy I've never met. I love you like a brother, but the Seattle thing from last week is ruined this text for me because I am so anti-Dallas. San Francisco, every game they scored 30 points. So here's what they did. The last time they were at home, they scored 41. Before that 38 before that 37 before that 35 before that 33 
three. They have scored 33 or more in five straight games. Now, I definitely think Dallas is going to score points because Dallas scores points. But San Francisco is the better team. They will prove it, and they will prove it in the second half, which is when most teams prove it. But if you're as old as I am, a San Francisco-Dallas game brings back serious NFC championship game memories. I don't trust Brock Purdy. I know if you look at his record, he has a 6-0 record counting the playoff win. He's beaten nobody. Seattle does not have a good defense. You look at the Cowboys. The Cowboys all season long were ranked in the top five. They fell to 13 at the end of the season because they weren't playing well. And then you saw what they did against Tampa. A Tampa Bay team defensively that was ranked 10th throughout the whole league. Dak Prescott showed up and did what he needed to do. And that's why I think this game is not going to be easy for San Francisco. As a matter of fact, I believe the Cowboys win it outright. You're on the same page then with Wes. And this is when I start doing my data for first touchdown in the NFC AFC game. So every year I go to Vegas, but when it gets to the AFC NFC game, the conference championships, we go to Vegas for three reasons. It's easier to get rooms than the Super Bowl. You get two games instead of one and it's cheaper. The flights are cheaper. Everything's cheaper. We do it every single year and every single year I do the same thing. I don't bet those games. I bet just the first touchdown because with championship footballs, as soon as those two games end, we know the two balls that we're going to be selling for the next two weeks. So the focus for me, what's the biggest bang for my buck? So when I look at the San Francisco game, the amount of weapons this dude has, I swear to God, Errol, you could quarterback them and you would get three touchdowns a game. They got Kittle. They got McCaffrey. They got Samuel. Remember, they couldn't agree to a contract with them and John Lynch said, he ain't going anywhere. I don't care what you're hearing. And what about Ayuk? He's got five weapons on the field at any time. They're a better team. Now, what do we love about football? It's a funky-shaped ball, and it does funny things. Did we see not in the last couple weeks of the season between Week 18 and the wild card? That ball does some funny things when it hits the ground. In, you in saw a weird it in way. the Charger game. As we saw Trevor Lawrence throw four interceptions in the first half and then yep. didn't throw anything but darts in the second yep. half and came back from a 27-0 deficit against the Chargers. Did you hear him? They got to go to the Waffle House. The Chargers didn't go. But if the Chargers could go anywhere, there's the Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles up in L.A. They could go there, but I, I don't love, think they'd get a standing ovation. <laughs> I love Waffle House. We actually went to Virginia going to one of those old Waffle Houses. I yeah. loved it. It was so exciting. It was so fun. Everybody says, why is it so fun? You go into a little Waffle House. Anybody watch Back to the Future? Those old diners? Yep. That's what yeah. it looks like. And, and, and it's breakfast food. The yeah. whole menu is breakfast food. You got eggs, you got bacon, you got ham. Stuff on a griddle is better than stuff not on a grill. And I've cooked, so I understand griddles. Griddles are great. I don't like grits. I never did like grits. Well, you know what? I love grits, but you got to appreciate them. Every culture has that fine grain that is like a grit. They have that little tiny pasta. Well, we were Italian that they would give babies. It was so tiny. It was like so small. You know, all pasta has a number, right, on the box. It was kind of like grits. So all those things are the same. They're kind of grainy. They're kind of, you got to have them. But if you do grits right and you make grits unhealthy with butter and cream and cheese, man, grits are damn good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like the texture in my mouth. It's definitely a grainy, sandy kind of I don't like that. I'm not a big rice fan either. But we're not here to talk about food. 
We're here to talk about sports. No, but I would imagine back in the day, if you could do individual player bets like you can now, what would Jerry Rice's overs have been, right? <laughs> Twelve and a half catches. Pre or post stick em. All season long, Justin Jefferson's catch rate was at 15 or 16. It was Jerry Rice kind of numbers. Have I not been really consistent with when the guys send me to play? I make sure I let them know first so I don't forget because, God forbid, if they win, and I'll tell you that I, I'm feeling the guilt. Bottom line is, Seattle, what was he? thinking. He obviously doesn't like San Francisco. And a lot of people looking at San Francisco, it's all about Brock Purdy. And I don't know if I trust him against a good defense like the Cowboys. Now, they have not played well all second half of the season. Really, the last five games of the season. That has a lot to do with Vander Esch being hurt. Vander Esch is back. He played very well last year, especially stopping the run. I think going into this game, Vander Esch is going to play a big part in this game because you know what San Francisco likes to do. They like to run the ball. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and then, obviously, they use so many different combinations, schemes. And, and then also, you forget about Mitchell, who played a big part last week in that San Francisco win. There's a lot of weapons that they have to run the ball. If Vander Esch and this defense can stop the run and make them become one-dimensional, I think they'll cause a lot of problems for Brock Purdy and... Don't forget about the name Micah Parsons because he's going to cause havoc. If he's on the field, he's havoc. But let's look at the touchdowns. So what I do is every year I do the same thing. I pull the data. I got week 15, 16, 17, 18 wild card. And then I have all eight teams broken down by their leading rusher and their leading receiver. And you know what, guys? This year it's amazing how many teams have their top, one of their top two rushers is their quarterback. For touchdowns, rushing touchdowns. You got Trevor Lawrence has five, Mahomes has four, Jones has four, Hertz has 13. Hertz has more touchdowns than anybody on this sheet. So there are eight teams. Each has the top two rushing touchdown persons. Elliott for Dallas has 12, Hertz is 13, and he didn't play how many games? He had one game where he had three, and this is what's cashed me tickets. So what I look at is what's happened in the past, what's happening now, and try to use that, of course, Duh, handicapping to isolate what's happening in the future. So when I when I look at those these two games, the Kittle thing is jumping out at me. Kid likes Kittle. Now in the wild card game, Kittle didn't get a touchdown. McCaffrey did. Purdy got a running touch. Mitchell and Debo Samuel got a touchdown. Before that, McCaffrey, Mitchell, Kittle, Kittle, Ayuk, Kittle, McCaffrey. I really like him. So I got Kittle way, and Ayuk on that side. It's not as difficult with Dallas because you have to use Elliott. Brock Purdy is expected to be the 49ers starting quarterback in 2023 over Trey Lance. So you know what that means. Bye-bye, Trey. Probably the best quarterback on the roster wasn't either of those two when you start the season. During the summer, the best quarterback on the roster wasn't either of those two. It was the guy that's not even on the roster now. So we're going to go with Elliott, and I'm going with CeeDee Lamb. He's just good. CeeDee Lamb will have a decent game. I don't know if he'll have a touchdown in the game. We saw that Dak Prescott used multiple of combination of players last week to beat Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. In San Francisco, I would go after the young corners. But you know how it works works the touchdown aspect of betting football is so different than the philosophy of football in general because there are certain players that can't score from midfield but there are certain players that can Ezekiel Elliott's not scoring a 50-yard touchdown tomorrow <laughs> there's probably not a good shot at that but C.D. Lamb could get a 50-yard touchdown so when a C.D. Lamb catches a 49-yard pass and gets knocked out at the three that's when the juice of betting on touchdowns is so cool because first of all there's a pause because everybody's got to get down the field now everybody in the world that has bet a Dallas 
player to score is live until they notice whether they're first they got are they on the field what if they're not on the field there's nothing worse than when you're right in the red zone with a chance to score and your guy's not on the field my son hit two bets last weekend he hit a 300 dollars parlay for ten dollars so it was 30 to one then he hit kirk cousin to score a touchdown he threw ten dollars mo and i when mo comes out we talk about the wtf money the money that you throw on the spinny wheel with a pretty girl you check into your room right at the front of the casino is this blonde that she's just gorgeous this girl is like barbie come to life and there's this wheel and you spend you throw 20 dollars on and you walk away without your 20 dollars. so he throws 10 dollars on kirk cousin he's 41 to 1 and he scores a touchdown i'm working upstairs and i'm delayed about three or four seconds i heard his scream before the play went off on my monitor because 40 to 1 is a big hit christian mccaffrey is a guy to definitely watch i think he is going to have a big game he will have a touchdown and i believe pollard will have a touchdown as well he he had Pollard, and Vicky kept calling him Pollard. It's been a long time since he scored a touchdown, but Kelsey had gone since uh, week 15 without a touchdown, and look what happened. And I think that when you watch a game like this, I expect the running games to find a way one way or another, especially if they're in the red zone. Both teams are going to try to run the ball up the gut, but I think the two best options, Debo Samuels could have a big game, and we saw what he did against Seattle. To me, he was the best player on the field offensively. I still believe Christian McCaffrey is the go-to guy, and Pollard will be the go-to guy, especially on the outside, and sometimes even on the inside. I think if the Cowboys have a chance to win this game, Pollard is going to have to be added to this offense a lot more than he was last week. Especially receiving. Absolutely. If they're going to beat the 49ers, they're going to have to score some points because you know what they're not really a stopping kind of team they're an out, they need to score they're an outscoring kind of team i don't know if they need to score a lot of points i think if the cowboys could play the defense they did last week against tampa because as good offensively on paper as san francisco you still have a rookie quarterback the last yeah but of- he keeps scoring 30 points at some point in time the fact that he's a rookie is irrelevant you know they always talk about that week 15 week 16 especially if they're younger kids and all they ever played in college was 14 or 15 games and now they're playing you know 17 games in playoffs the bottom line is at some point in time the fact that he's a rookie is irrelevant they score 30 points every single week dallas is going to have to score 30 points to beat this team they're not going to beat this team scoring 24 points they're going to have to score 30 points to beat this team brock purdy beat the cardinals final game of the regular season brock purdy beat the raiders second to final game of the season then the commanders then the seahawks the buccaneers were a team just absolutely playing like garbage all right so let's talk about the rematch from that Monday night game they got canceled where the teams now flip the home field because that game was in Cincinnati and now this game is in Buffalo. The kid is not only alive and it has never been there when somebody's pumping on somebody's chest. It's not a good feeling. All those prayers were so cool because the guy is back and now this game really impacts Blackhawk West. What's he call it? The Mahomes Invitational? Because every year <laughs> it's in Kansas City and he's a season ticket holder so he goes 
goes to the game. But if Buffalo wins, it's in Atlanta. So he's rooting for Cincinnati. So, Errol, what do you think? Can Cincinnati beat Buffalo? No, I don't think they're going to go into Buffalo and beat Buffalo. The thing is, is when you watch this game, DeMar Hamlin, I believe, will be there. I think it's going to make the crowd go wild. And Cincinnati, I didn't like how they played last week against the Baltimore Ravens. You look at what they did. They couldn't throw the ball. Joe Burrow did not look good last week. They couldn't really run the ball either. I don't know what's going on with Mixon. I don't know what's going on with P. Ryan. Defensively, especially on the edges, they're not healthy. They haven't played healthy the last couple of weeks. They're really just limping into the playoffs. And their offensive line, they're missing three starters on their offensive line. The weakness of this Cincinnati team going to the playoffs last year was their offensive line. They added three offensive linemen, and two of them are out for the rest of the season. So I don't understand how they can win this game. Buffalo did give up a lot of points against the Miami Dolphins and a third-string quarterback. But I still believe Buffalo is going to come out strong. Josh Allen, I believe, is going to put up good numbers. There's nobody on the Bengals, I believe that could stop Diggs and Davis. They play like they did last week against Miami. There's not a chance in hell the Bengals have a chance. It's anybody's ball game, but I don't see it. I think Buffalo wins this game outright as well. I think it'll be close early in the game, and as the third and fourth quarter gets closer, I think Buffalo pulls away, especially their defense. I think they're the better defensive team, so Buffalo wins this game. If you could find on your sports book the prop, will there be a defensive touchdown (laughs) in this game? I would bet that. Buffalo, you know, can bring the ball back if they get it, their hands on it. But back-to-back in Week 18 and in the wild card game, Cincinnati had a defensive touchdown. A defensive touchdown, will there be one, is almost always a nice return on your investment, man. If you want to bet on a guy that's going to score in this game, which we didn't see enough of him last game for the Bengals, T. Higgins will have a touchdown in this game. And on the Buffalo Bills, Knox will have a touchdown in this game, Five too. straight games he's had a yes. touchdown. So you know what's hard in this game? When you look at a pivotal game, Week 17, which is the week of the fantasy championship. They don't do it in week 18. This game is, is off the board. So when you're looking at touchdown data, Knox didn't play in that game. There's no game. And Higgins didn't play. So Higgins hasn't scored since then. They played two games since then. They played a week 18 and they played a wild card. Higgins, who led the team in touchdowns, one more than Chase in receptions for the regular season, hasn't scored since then. It was the same thing, though, with Kelsey. You're betting touchdowns, right? And you look and you see Kelsey hasn't scored since week 15 what do you think you have to say to yourself on one hand people are screaming he's due right in the other hand saying they're using him as bait they're decoying him and they're winning if i'm kelsey and you don't throw me a touchdown pass for the next three games and i'm on a bus drinking shotgun and beers in front of a million people in cincinnati i'm okay with that i'm sure you'd be much rather shotgunning beers at a super bowl parade though which i'm sure west will be at if the chiefs win yeah for sure i had the over in this game i had every dollar in my account bet on Cincinnati on that Monday night and it started out perfect I had the first quarter I had Buffalo team total under Cincinnati team total over Cincinnati the over I was gonna hit like 12 tickets on that game and of course they refunded the money and because they were three and four team parlays I, I won some money which was great but the difference between a two-teamer and a three-teamer when one of them pushes is two and a half to one to six to one and it goes from six to one to ten to one and ten to one's a much better hit than six the one, trust me. What I love in this one is Cincinnati in their first quarter has allowed nine points in their last 11 games, and yet they've only had a 3 0 run against the spread. So, listen to that in their last 11 games. They allowed three field goals in the first quarter. But because they're always favored, you lose. 
if it's a push, if it's 0-0 or 3-3, you lose that game if you're Cincinnati because you're always given the points. And we talked about that when we talk about the horse racing that will be coming up in the next few weeks as we get into March and April and May, the first Saturday in May, is the whole concept of in the playoffs, these teams have been favorites, guys, all the way until now, and now they're getting points and you gotta say to yourself don't just say wow they're getting points let's take the points because sometimes they're getting points for a reason if you're betting your hard-earned money you have to look at why you're betting it and so in this game i feel the over is the safest bet for me from an emotional standpoint because though as the game goes live i may bet a cincinnati or a buffalo the logic with wes and i and all the guys is the same thing buffalo's given points if cincinnati scores first i'm betting buffalo it's that simple if Buffalo scores first. I'm probably going back in on the over a little bit more because the over is 48-9. Could you see this be a 34-27 game? I could see all day long these teams lighting it up. And then you got to deal with weather. And I don't like to look at weather because I've seen weather change in 24 hours. So I, I like to wait on weather. In Buffalo, you have to look at weather. It's like yeah. the Cubs game. If the wind's blowing in at the Cubs game, you don't bet the over. There's supposed to be snowstorms on Sunday. So it might be snowing afternoon in Buffalo. Have I had over bets that have won in the snow? Yes, of course. That whole concept that as a receiver, I know my route, and as a defender, you don't. And if I'm really good and I can juke you a couple times, and we've all seen the NFL films of the guy running in the snow 40, 50 yards, because once the safety falls down, as long as you don't fall down, but Daniel Jones has shown you that you you can't fall. Falling down is possible. That is true. We got a couple good games that we got to feel for. You like Buffalo, I agree, and Buffalo on the over, I would not have a problem and depending on how my bankroll is when I wake up in the morning I have some pending wagers and pending wagers are wagers that you made early in the day maybe before or after you had too many to drink and so you have to wait and see if that was the smart thing even though I did have my buddy say to me don't worry bet against the Knicks They'll find a way to lose. And he's a Knicks fan. And we're and then, Knicks uh, fans too. We'll probably bet the same thing. We're going to have some parlays with the touchdowns because we're getting close to that. But again, I'm going to miss you guys next week. And I pretty sure if I've invited you as well. I'm telling everybody that I've invited to our AFC NFC Better Way Weekend mm. in Vegas. It's the same time every season. Both games. And I told you why. Easy to get rooms, cheaper flights, less people. If you've ever had to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to grab a seat in a sports book for a game that doesn't start until 10, you understand the concept of less people. The world is different when what you do is illegal. So in California, what I do is illegal. Now, I'm not worried about SWAT coming in as I'm talking to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and going through my windows like they do as they come down off the roof. Though they could because I'm on the second floor. But it really changes how you get paid. And so I had to go to MoneyGram to get paid this week. But as she's flashing that money, just counting the money out in front of me and it's in cash, how many people get to go into a CVS and come out with more money than they went in with? That usually doesn't happen. But CVS in here in California is where the MoneyGram. And when you're dealing with offshore, that's how you got to do it. It's either Bitcoin or MoneyGram. If anybody didn't like this segment, well, I don't know what you're not listening to because Wes gave you some winners. Wes gave us some winners, but they got an asterisk because he's got that Seattle plague oh, <laughs> on his back. And now he's going to take down the Cowboys. No, I think the Cowboys could absolutely win this game. I think it could go either way. And a lot of people have San Francisco going all the way to Super Bowl, including yours truly, before the season started. But something tells me the Cowboys are going to surprise a lot of people. And a lot of Cowboy fans believe it. I know it's always with the Cowboy fans. You know my biggest problem? Dak's going to throw a pick when he 
can't throw a pick. When I he bet, can't afford to throw a pick. I bet you he one. doesn't throw one pick in this game. You don't have to bet me. You can go on DraftKings. I'm pretty sure they have a line for that. Wes had Brady over one and a half, remember? And he gave up that early one. He didn't throw another one. I believe Brock Purdy will throw interception. Basically, that's what we try to tell people when we're working with our sportsbettinglessons.com is if you handicap a game, don't overthink it. Try to anticipate what you think you're going to happen and make as many bets in that frame as you can. So here's a guy that you could not care who wins and you could have two bets on the game that Purdy will throw picks and the Dak won't. And you can watch that game and you can win both of those bets before that game is at halftime. And then you can win some money. But Chaz, we really appreciate you as always. I hope you have a really, really good time over there. Did I mention I'm going to be in Las Vegas? Yes. In your one true love, Vegas. And I have locals. You know, when I went to visit you guys, I was hanging with locals. The bottom line is when you're dealing with locals, life's better. It depends on where you are. It depends on who you're with. Where you are is irrelevant. If the locals are good people, you're good. If the locals are assholes, then they're just assholes and there's nothing you can do about it. It depends where you are, of course. Errol just doesn't want to be in Miami and he'll be fine. No, I'm good with Miami. No Miami for me. I have fond memories of Miami. I don't know. How would you not like Miami? I don't like the place. I've been there quite a few times, especially for a Super Bowl. I, I wasn't really too fond of Miami. But anyways, Chaz, we really appreciate you as always. We will talk to you in two weeks. Always Hooray. be cashing, guys. We'll be talking about the Super Bowl in two weeks. So. There you go. That was Chaz, and that was Moneyline Mania. No Wes, no Johns, no Hector, but we had Chaz, ladies and gentlemen, and he is great. We'll be back every single week with Chaz and Moneyline Mania. He's just on his little vacation to Vegas. So. And happy one-year anniversary, Moneyline Mania. That's right. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we have some NBA conversation. Kyrie Irving likely to be given a max contract by the Nets in the offseason. What does that spell for the Brooklyn Nets? I don't know. I think the earth is flat when it comes to that. <laughs> or maybe just the money is flat, and that's why he's going to get it. But when we come back, we'll get into that clown of an organization. And the Knicks, Mitchell Robinson out for three weeks. What does that spell for the New York Knicks moving forward in their race for the playoffs? When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back this this is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows. Now, some NBA conversation. I have really come to the conclusion that this organization is stupid. And I think Kyrie Irvin is one of the most talented players we have ever seen in the NBA since Allen Iverson. He's that type of player. Allen Iverson, who took the 76ers on his own back to the NBA Finals. Didn't win, but took him all the way to the NBA Finals. Kyrie Irvin is not a guy that you can trust, that you can have him carry a team all the way to an NBA Finals. As a matter of fact, he believes the earth is flat. I believe... Some of the things that he has said has been disgraceful, despicable. And now you're hearing the Nets are likely to give Kyrie Irving a max contract going into 2023. What does that spell for the Brooklyn Nets? Horror. Idiocy. The organization doesn't really care about the fans and where this organization needs to be. And that is a championship competitive team. And I know what you guys are going to say. They're the fourth seed right now in the Eastern Conference. Kevin Durant is getting older. It's another month that Kevin Durant is going to miss, maybe two months. And do you trust 
that Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons can carry this team until Kevin Durant comes back. And they probably will because the Eastern Conference, it's really top-heavy. The bottom end of it is not that good. But that doesn't help the Brooklyn Nets if they're a 6 or 7 seed and they got to skim right into the playoffs and hope they don't have to play the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. They don't want to be at 7 or 8 going into the playoffs. Because that's an easy way out of the playoffs. They want to be at four or three. That's where the Brooklyn Nets want to be. Now you're hearing stories that they want to pay Kyrie Irving max money. It just doesn't make sense. I know what you're going to say about this. Well, who are they going to add if they let Kyrie Irving go? How many point guards are as good as Kyrie Irving? Less than a handful. But... You don't have to deal with the -the off-the-court craziness by Kyrie Irving. And yes, Kyrie Irving's been better ever since that whole anti-Semitic view of a movie and what he wanted people to watch through Twitter. And it was disgraceful, and I don't want to get into that. But knowing that and seeing everything that he has done year after year since he's come to the Brooklyn Nets, it would scare you if you're a season ticket holder, if you were the owner, that if you give Kyrie Irving a five-year deal worth about $260 million, this guy isn't going to cause more problems in the next five years than he has in the last three. This is the same guy in Kyrie Irving, too, that wanted to be the highest-paid player in the league. Yeah, good luck with that with all the issues you've had off the court. It doesn't create good team culture or chemistry. Guys might want to come in there because it's New York, but how can you trust them? Ben Simmons is overpaid and always hurt. Kevin Durant is always hurt, and he's on his second straight year with an MCL injury. There's better things that they can do with that kind of money. It might not even be just one player. It might be two quality players that aren't max contract players, because both on the court, when he's the number one option, he hasn't been performing greatly. The Celtics, he had a couple good years, but he was underperforming in certain ones too, and they were better without him in the playoffs. When he got hurt, they played better. They went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, and same kind of thing with the Nets. When Kevin Durant was hurt, Kyrie Irving really hasn't stepped up as the number one option. He's really only benefited with KD and LeBron and strive from there, so there's just a lot of things not to trust, and you really want a guy that says all the stupid crap that he says leading your team? It is a stupid move by the Brooklyn Nets. Look what the Knicks did with Jalen Brunson. They gave him a four-year deal worth about $106 million. Look what Jalen Brunson is doing right now for the New York Knicks. He's been one of the best pickups in the offseason, and he's been the best player for the New York Knicks. And I just don't believe Kyrie Irving is the future to the Brooklyn Nets and their chances of winning a championship. Speaking of the New York Knicks, they're going to be missing their best defensive player, their center, Mitchell Robinson, who'll be out three to four weeks with a fractured thumb. Mitchell Robinson can't stay healthy. He is a fantastic defensive player. He's one of the best down-low defensive players in the NBA. It's starting to make me worry. They gave him a four-year contract in the offseason. It's an affordable contract. They can move the contract if he does play well, and he was playing well this year. But who's going to want him? Since he's coming to the NBA every single year, He's had a significant injury that set him back 20 games. It cannot happen. If the Knicks have a chance to make the playoffs, you saw what they did against the Hawks the other day. They had no defense. They had nobody down low that can defend anybody to the hole. They need that big body that can block. They did it with Nerlens Noel when he was there. Mitchell Robinson played a big part when he came back when Nerlens Noel was running and gunning defensively. Nerlens Noel was the best blocker in the league when he was on the Knicks. So you look at Mitchell Robinson now, this is going to start to worry you as a Knicks fan because without him, him, you have to depend on guys like Julius Randle playing defense. I don't trust Julius Randle for anything. By the way, Obi Toppin needs to play more. I don't know what Tom Thibodeau is doing. This guy is a better defensive player than Julius Randle. This guy's a high-flying 
team player. Why is this guy only getting 16 minutes a game? He should be playing at least 27 minutes a game. He's a young kid, and he's at that level where you should be showing off. If you want to trade him, you want to get a Zach Levine. Obi Toppin's going to be the centerpiece of that trade. You want him on the court. You want to show Chicago that he's worth every penny for the Knicks to trade for Zach Levine. It doesn't make any sense where the Knicks are with some of these young players. Tom Thibodeau prides himself on defense, yet he keeps trying to put out Julius Randle for as many minutes as he does, and also Isaiah Hartenstein playing center, who, him playing center makes Kristaps Porzingis look like a good defender inside. Like, it's really not good. He's a power forward that's very lean, and it's not ideal to play center. That's the same kind of thing with Toppin with his body type, too. That's why he's much better as a four, and luckily the Knicks haven't really done that with Toppin. When they have played him, they kept him at the four, but the Knicks really don't have that kind of guy inside. Maybe they play Jericho Sims more. He's more of the pure center. Jericho Sims wouldn't be on any team. Just a defensive center, but is he going to get offensively more minutes to be able to trust him? Because the Knicks don't have anyone else offensively, but all their guys offensively are bad defensively. Like, there's not really a great two-way player, front court guys, that you could trust besides top. As far as Robinson, tough to trust right now. Maybe that is a contract they do look to trade because it is tradable. Maybe Mitchell Robinson is something that they can shop for Zach Levine. I don't want to have to have him trade Toppin. There's really nobody like Toppin on this roster, but you could probably find in a shooting league, a winning league, you could find centers that are a little cheaper. I think Mitchell Robinson is a little more replaceable than somebody like Toppin, so I wouldn't mind if they tried to pursue Zach Levine, include him in the deal if he's healthy by that point, but the NBA trade deadline's in three weeks, so it might be hard for that kind of thing to happen. The one that's been interesting is Cam Reddish has gotten a lot of trade requests across the league, too. I've heard the Lakers and the Heat, maybe they include him in the deal with Levine, too, if Chicago's interested in him. Mitchell Robinson, I'm not liking it right now, and maybe they do if the trade is contract. And one of the biggest pickups in the offseason was Jalen Brunson. Congratulations to him. Before Friday night, he had eight games with 25 consecutive points in every single game. I don't even remember the last Nick to do that. Eight games with 25 or more points. It's fantastic. He's just showing everybody why the Knicks went after him. Everybody that thought that he was going to be a bad pickup for the Knicks, he will not fit the Knicks, they were wrong. Because this kid is still 26, going to be 27 years old. He's at an elite level at the point guard position. He's only going to get better on this team. The Knicks found themselves a gem. Now let's see if they can build around him, maybe with R.J. Barrett and some of these younger players. Maybe you pick up a player like a Zach Levine. Maybe you have something here with Jalen Brunson, but that Mitchell Robinson loss could really affect the Knicks on where they're positioned if they continue on this playoff run. When we come back, we got some hockey, baby, as the Rangers and Islanders both in slumps. So when we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back. We are the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows throughout the week. They're live. And now, the Rangers and Islanders. What the Rangers were doing for the last two weeks was fantastic. They were playing good hockey, figuring out what their lines were we're going to set up as they move forward going into a playoff run. What I've seen with the Rangers over the last week is just a lack of defense. Team defense is falling apart, and everybody wants to blame Shesterkin. Shesterkin won 
defending a trophy last year. He was the best goaltender in a league last year. Now, is he having the year that he had last year? It's very hard to have back-to-back years on the season that he had last year. But what I've seen over the last couple of weeks, the defense has been playing more with the offense, and they've been playing team defense. And then the last couple of games, maybe it's because of the teams that they're playing. They're figuring out how to break that defense, to split the defense. And there's a lot of guys that have not played well. Adam Fox has been outstanding. Miller has played great. But the other defensive players on this squad have not. And it's been a big disappointment. I think that the Rangers have the ability to hide their deficiencies defensively because of their offense and how strong their first line is and how good their second line could be. And maybe they make a trade at the trade deadline. Maybe they had a Patrick Kane. Maybe they had a defenseman. As we heard, Eric Carlson wants out in San Jose because he wants to play for a winning team. I don't know if the Rangers could get Eric Carlson and Patrick Kane, but if I were the Rangers, I would go more after Eric Carlson than Patrick Kane. Could you imagine Eric Carlson and Adam Fox on the same line? That would be a pretty good defensive pairing. Probably the best in the league. I look at the Rangers right now. It's really been the problem for the last couple of years. Where is this team going to be defensively going into the playoffs? The Rangers are making the playoffs. There's no doubt in my mind. There's no way this team is not making the playoffs. But what are they going to do in the playoffs against the elite teams when you have top two lines that can put the puck in the net, when you have 30 goal scorers? Look what the Buffalo Sabres are doing right now. They have a guy like Tage who he's played fantastic. He's really becoming a superstar. They've got weapons. Their defense has played very well. They're even getting goaltending. I'm not saying Buffalo's going to make the playoffs, but you're looking at a team that's up and coming, and they're figuring things out. Why are the Rangers still at the same talent at that defensive level? Now, that has a lot to do with Chris Drury and what he has done in the offseason, and the Rangers don't have a lot of money to spend. They will in the offseason, a lot of $17 million. Maybe they can use that money to go after a free agent defenseman that can help them out. But right now, they want to make a run for the playoffs. They want to make a run this year where they can win a Stanley Cup, where they were in the Eastern Conference last year when they lost against Tampa. I think the big problem for the Rangers is defense. I think it's a lot more forward defense. The centers, the third line, especially those young kids, a lot of them have struggled defensively this year. I think Kako's gotten a little bit better from where he was last year, but still not consistent enough. Trocek has been good. Kreider has been good consistently all year, but a lot of the forwards playing defense too has really hurt them. Now, the raw defensemen, I think, are still good for the most part. Lingren's been a little down from where he was last year, but he overperformed last year. Truba's kind of hit or miss, made a lot of mistakes recently. They've also had trouble offensively, though, too, trying to get production on the second and third lines, too, which has been a big issue this week in the games against Montreal, losing 2-1, to one, and then against the Bruins as well, where they got absolutely steamrolled in that game and got outplayed very badly. The Rangers have to find ways to possess the puck further, too, to help out their defense. A lot of their raw defensive players in that scheme have still been good. It's just still been hard for them to be able to get consistency when they're not possessing the puck. And Shesterkin hasn't been the same. We expect a natural regression out of a year. Like There's not many goalies nominated for a Hart Trophy and a Vesna Trophy in the same year. That kind of year is unheard of. Now, the rumors have come out there looking at Jacob Chitron from the Coyotes, a guy that was a trade target for them last year. I could see that kind of thing happening now with that third and second pairing defenseman spot being iffy for the Rangers, but I still really want to center really badly, and hopefully they can fix the face-off because that's still a big issue for them. And then there's the Islanders, and I can nitpick everything that's going on with this team. And the one thing 
that isn't going wrong for them is their star goaltender, Ilya Sorokin. By the way, mm-hmm. congratulations to Ilya Sorokin. As Friday night, he was announced to make his first All-Star game. So did Adam Fox and Panarin. Congratulations to Ilya Sorokin. Well-deserved. And yeah. The team just doesn't play well in front of him. The guy's averaging almost 40 shots a game, one of the highest in the NHL. He has one of the best save percentage, one of the best goals against, and they still can't win. It has a lot to do with the game planning. Uh, and I'm not saying Lambert isn't the guy. But they're not getting any offense. How many times has he changed line after line after line? And by the way, I could sit here today and say, well, Islanders need to make a trade for an offensive player. If it was so easy, they would have. It's not. Lou Lamarello tried to do that in the offseason for three guys, and he struck out on all three of them. And now you're going into the trade deadline, and you're going to have to trade one of the youngsters or more first rounds or second round draft picks, which the Islanders cannot do because their farm system is getting light. And that's a huge problem. They don't have any offensive guys in their farm system that really stands out. Raddy and William Dufour, the Islanders need to keep these young prospects because they need to move forward with them and figure out where they're going to get the offense in the future. Oliver Wallstrom has not been good. Everybody thought that this guy was going to be a breakout goal scorer, 30, 35 goal scorer when he figures things out. Still hasn't figured out. He's just like Capococco and Lafiniere of the Rangers. These guys have been busts. They haven't figured out. Maybe the speed of the game, maybe just the game as a whole. Maybe they trade him, he goes somewhere else and he figures it out. But it shows that the Islanders have not made the right choices looking for forwards. They've been very unlucky with the health problems they've had all season long and that's been a huge problem moving forward. Now hopefully as they get healthier, maybe Lou makes a trade here and there to help the offensive side of the puck, which has been a big problem. Congratulations to Brock Nelson. He enters his first All-Star game as well. It's been fun in certain aspects for some of the players that you see really developing, like Ilya Sorokin and a second year Brock Nelson doing what he is doing. But Barzell has not had a good year. He is not putting the puck in the net. He's not doing the things that we expected him after getting $9 million a year from the Islanders in the offseason. They need to figure something out with this team if they expect to win. I would say even two is what they're going to need because it's going to be very hard for just even one guy to save a older second line and a third line that's been very inconsistent this year. With the league having a lot of surprise teams too, especially in the Western Conference, a lot of those markets, probably outside of Vancouver that they've been rumored to trade with, either having sustainable years where they're in playoff spots or years that are better than expected where they're not making trade. Now, wingers are usually easier to trade for than centers. They could look at multiple wingers if they're affordable with that. And the Islanders do have the cap room to make it work. I don't know at this point if they're going to end up getting one of those big swing guys. We were hearing Kane throughout the year we heard Tarasenko last year. Maybe it's one of those guys and then somebody else that's a younger guy that's on a shorter contract that will just help the speed of the game. The prospects have come up. They've come down and not been able to develop well. The trade targets are going to be very limited. We are talking about the Canucks. I know Horvat was the big name that was rumored, but also Brock Besser. I could see JT Miller was another name. The Blues have been kind of struggling. So maybe somebody from there, like a Jordan Cairo, who's a nice young player, could be an interesting target for them. But they're going to have to find something to make this work. Otherwise, they might just have to sell. By the way, the New York Rangers are also in on Timo Meyer as well. Everybody keeps thinking that it's just a foregone conclusion it's going to be Patrick Kane, but there are rumors coming out from Rangers management that they're very much interested in Timo Meyer and also Eric Carlson, I'm reading. So mm-hmm. it's going to be very interesting as the trade deadline comes around. Both teams could make big moves, either 
deciding to part ways with players or look to buy into players moving forward into the playoffs. And the way the Islanders have played the last couple of weeks, I think they're more sellers than buyers. I don't know if they should be buying anything. Wait until the offseason. Trade off pieces. Go into the draft. This is a pretty good draft. A lot of depth for centers and wingers. Find yourself some good young players. And then in the offseason, then you go after some players, some free agents that can help your team move forward. You have the goaltender of the future. Now you build, and that's what you need to do if you expect to compete in the Metropolitan Division, the hardest division in hockey. When we come back, we have a little baseball and speedy. Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Check out the World Wide Sports Radio website by going to www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Check out all our shows, our live shows throughout the week. You can check out the Sports Loudmouths Hour Show with the great guests that we have, the great content, the crazy content, some of the crazy callers that we get on the show. Go check us out on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m., Before we get into crunch time, one baseball story that stands out, and that's the New York Yankees. It's not good. I've been predicting this to be a problem since they made a trade for him. There are stories coming out from the New York Yankees organization that Frankie Montaz to miss at least the first month of the regular season with a shoulder inflammation. I expected this. And being that it's been the whole offseason, I think he should have had surgery. He should have had something cleaned over there in his shoulder. I don't think it's a major injury, but being that he had all this time, and it's been like three or four months, go in there, get it scoped, get it cleaned, and maybe he would have been ready for the beginning of the season. Now you're going into the season with inflammation. He was going to be your number five guy. You're starting him on IL. It doesn't make any sense. It definitely makes the Yankees starting rotation from, I believe, the best rotation in baseball to now even with all the rotations in baseball. So whatever Frankie Montas comes back, this rotation could become that rotation we thought they were going to be, adding a guy like Rodon. Nothing going on with the Mets organization right now. It's going to be interesting for both these teams to stay healthy and move forward in the season. I think the Mets and the Yankees are playoff teams, dangerous teams. The question is, it's all about the health and the positional players. Which we know the Mets are definitely not good at over the years, and the Yankees, they're starting to get into that boat now with these yeah. pitchers especially. Maybe they both need to decide to trade trainers. If I were the Yankees, I don't know if I want to trust anything with the Mets organization's trainers. I, I guess you're right. How about just get rid of the trainers and share trainers? Go get the real top-of-the-top line. Steve Cohen has the money. Steinbrenner has the money. Why don't they go out and find some real trainers that can help these players with their injuries and some of the positional players that can't stay healthy throughout the season? Anyway, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! It's time for Crunch Time! Alright, we'll start with the Bengals-Bills playoff game. Buy or sell? Both Joe Burrow and Josh Allen will have 300-plus passing yards. I absolutely buy it. I think Joe Burrow will have a better game than he did last week, and I think Josh Allen will stay away from the interceptions where he threw two. They both will have 300 yards. They both will play a good game. I just think Josh Allen will have a little bit better of a game, and that's why I think the Buffalo Bills will win. I buy it. I'm selling it. I don't trust it with the offensive line for Joe Burrow to be able to get that kind of deep ball accuracy. I think he'll have to do a lot of quick throws. 
I don't really trust the coaching of Zach Taylor to be able to make those kinds of things work. So I think you're going to have a lot more incompletions in this game. And he's just to adjust to himself. Allen, I think, will. I think the Bengals secondary still is kind of thing, especially without a Wuje. And Gabe Davis played well last week. So I think he could be trusted a little more. I agree with you on Dawson Knox as well. I think he is a big game. So Allen does. I don't think Burrow does. I am going to sell that. The Boston Bruins have been the best team in the league this year by far. Will get their goal differential at plus 80 by no. the All-Star break. Yes, I buy it. They absolutely will for the All-Star break. Throughout the season, not a chance in hell. I'm going to buy that one too. It's plus 77 at the moment. Really, there's nothing that's been stopping them. I know Patrice Bergeron just had an injury. He had his, and he uh, still scored a goal against the Rangers. He still scored a goal against the Rangers. A great shot from the point. I just think the Bruins are just so deep at this point. Depth has been an issue for them in years past. Even if they do have to battle through these injuries, I don't think it'll be an issue. And Linus Oldmark has played like by far the Vezina Trophy winner. So I'm definitely going to buy that one. Three out of four of CeeDee Lamb, Dalton Schultz, Brandon Ayuk, and Debo Samuel have 80 receiving yards or more. I'm going to sell that. I think maybe two out of the four will have that. I can't see three out of the four. CeeDee Lamb could. Ayuk could. But that's about it. I think they're going to use Debo Samuel more as a running back in this game and Christian McCaffrey as a running back in this game. They're going to try to move it around. And, and remember, don't forget about George Kittle, who could have a very big game against the Cowboys, who have a very big problem stopping big tight ends. So I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it. I actually think Ayuk is going to be the only one that has that kind of thing. I like the matchup for Juwan Jennings in this game to be the explosive receiver for the Niners. And I think McCaffrey has a big game as well still, especially from scrimmage. I think George Kittle will be used more as a blocker. And I think Debo Samuel, because he's more of an after-the-catch guy. The Cowboys are a good tackling team. I think Van Der Esch and Anthony Barr, Micah Parsons, whoever they drop back in coverage, will be able to make sure he doesn't get those extra yards. As for the Cowboys guys, I don't trust Dalton Schultz as much in this game with Hufanga and Fred Warner and those guys covering him. And CeeDee Lamb against Traverius Ward. I think he'll do well, but I don't think he'll get to 80. So I'm going to sell that one. Kyrie Irving will get the Supermax contract from the Nets. Obviously, I'm going to buy it. Everything's coming out from the organization that he is. So why would they change that? And who are they going to go after in the offseason? Who's available in the offseason? That's Kyrie Irving-like. Nobody. So they're going to pay him. I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. It doesn't seem like the right move for the Nets, but it definitely seems like the popular Clowns! move to just stay relevant with the Knicks, because that's the other battle that they have. They want to win New York. They're not doing it right now. What does it matter if they beat the Knicks? Uh, they're going to think that way. Same thing with Stupid. the Mets. They're always going to think they want to just be ahead of the Yankees, even though it's unrealistic to think that way, just with the disproportionate of the fans. Now, the Mets fans are passionate. The Nets fans, I don't know about that, because they have to have James Harden sell playoff tickets. I'm definitely going to buy that. I think they're going to keep the clown show flat earth Kyrie Irving rolling for a little more. All right, one baseball one. Eraldis Chapman signs a one-year deal with the Kansas City Royals. Buy or sell, he will be either traded or released by them in the middle of the season. I buy it. The guy's going to get another tattoo, another infection, and the team's just going to be at it with him. They'll probably trade him. Somebody will pick him up at the trade deadline that needs a relief pitcher or closer, so I'm going to buy it. Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I've heard the Dodgers had interest in him in the signing at the start. I do think they don't have a little bit of an iffy bullpen as it is now on paper. They've tried the, all these other closer experiments since Kenley Jansen went to the Braves and it hasn't worked for them. So maybe they do get a more lefty depth. I could see the Dodgers trading for him. Or if they, they can't find a trade partner, if he just struggles as badly There'll as he did. There'll be a ton of teams interested If he struggles in him. as badly as he did, though, with They'll the Yankees still be last interested year. In him. He has a mental issue. That's the only reason why the Yankees couldn't control him. There's something wrong with him in his hand. But he still has the talent. He still can pitch. I just think there's enough teams with lefties that'll definitely need him. So, yeah, I'm going to buy that one as well. All right, last one. Daniel Jones will have more rushing yards than Jalen Hurts. I'm going to sell it. I think Jalen 
Jalen Hurts is going to use his legs more than his arm. I just think Jalen Hurts, even with unhealthy thought of his arm, is going to show up in this game and show everybody why he should have been the MVP because he's not winning the MVP because he missed two games. They're giving it to Patrick Mahomes. But to me, he's been the best quarterback in the NFL when he is on the field. So Jalen Hurts is going to have more rushing yards than Daniel Jones. I may disagree with you. I think Daniel Jones does have more, so I'm going to buy that one. I think the Eagles defense, the way they're structured, it's a four-man rush type defense, a lot like the Jets where they don't blitz a lot. They use a lot of man coverage, and their linebackers outside. Hassan Reddick's an X-factor because he can move around in linebacker and defensive end, but beyond that, Kaiser White is kind of a smaller guy, not a great run stopper. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson just coming back from injury. How healthy is he? I think Daniel Jones, I think this could be a focal point in the game player. I think Jalen Hurts will have a good amount of rushing yards, but I think it'll come later in the game. I think most of the Eagles' production is going to come from the passing attack. I think Devontae Smith has a nice game. Dallas Goddard, and I think they'll use that more and some of the running backs to be able to exploit the yards after the catch in the passing game, especially with this game. Maybe next game, if they play the 49ers or the Cowboys and he's a little healthier, I see more rushing yards, but I don't see I as see much him, this week. I see him not rushing against any of those teams if he has to play the 49ers or the Cowboys because of the defense and the prowess that they have to get at you. So I think this is the game that I see him rushing and trying to get the yards against the Giants because he doesn't want to throw the ball. I don't know if he trusts his arm enough to throw the ball in this game. I'm going to buy that one because I don't know if he's going to want to take those kinds of hits right away. I don't think Nick Sirianni is going to let him have it. I just think there's other matchup advantages against the Giants they could take advantage of. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the show. Thank you to Elite Sports, New York Giants, and NFL writer Ryan Honey for joining us. Thank you to Moneyline Mania and Chaz for joining us. We won't see Chaz next week. I'll have him on the week after. We'll speak about the Super Bowl. Wes will probably be on. It'll be interesting. Bunch of characters, so definitely stay tuned for that. We will have a new guest next week. Great content, so stay tuned as we love all the fans here in Long Island and throughout the country that listen to us every single week. Shout out to the New York Giants. Hopefully, the Giants pull this game off for all the Giant fans to go crazy and for all you Eagle fans, including yours truly, who I love the Eagles as well. I'm a Jet fan, but I grew up a Donovan McNabb fan. I hope the Eagles win this game and pull this game out. Yeah, we know. It's going to be a great Sunday for football, so stay tuned. We will be back next week. We will talk about it and get ready for the AFC and NFC Championship, so definitely stay tuned for that when we come back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, 103.9, and we'll be back next week. Good night.